practical, everyday decisions. Like, this is good. We need this. It's a good way of communicating. God doesn't just say the same thing over and over again to beat it into you. He's very creative. The Bible says that in many different ways. There are going to be visions. There are going to be dreams. There are going to be prophets. There are going to be kings. There's going to be wisdom. Proverbs 11. Last week, if you noticed, Proverbs chapter 10, we talked about broad principles. This week, nitty gritty. We're going to read through every verse. I'm not going to take the time to comment on every verse. If I spent one minute on every verse, we'd be here half an hour. That's kind of an hour. But I'm going to talk more, but not about every verse. So we're going to put them into some categories. We're going to make some observations. So Proverbs, I'm going to read them as we go through them. So let's go with verse 1. Proverbs 11, 1. A false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. Does God care about metal, kilograms, grams? Is this a verse about how much God loves scales and weights? No. So you can over-literalize things when you read them in the Bible. What does God care about? Here's the word I want you to write down. Truthfulness. That's what God cares about. That's the principle of this verse. Be truthful. Why? Well, it's just fair to everybody. No, it's not about everybody else. It's not about being fair to your fellow man. It's about being truthful because God is truthful. That's what it's about. God is truthful. Therefore, live truthfully. Well, why didn't he just say that? Because that's not how you teach people. He has said that. It's in the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not lie. But obviously it's not enough because humans still do it. So this is a, an example, a very practical example in everyday life, even at work, even in the marketplace, even when you're not focused on worship in the temple and you're not singing and you're not giving, even when you're not being religious, God needs to be at the forefront of your mind and you're supposed to be truthful even when you're buying a pound of salt. Like, whoa, my faith is supposed to come out everywhere. Yep, that's it, everywhere. God does not want you to be a lying, cheating scumbag. That'd be a good paraphrase of this verse, right? Don't take advantage of everybody. The Lord hates that. God delights in a just, fair weight. Number two, verse two. When pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with the humble is wisdom. Notice the contrast in words there. If you're the market up, draw lines. Uh, the word pride is contrasted with the word humble. And then disgrace is contrasted with the word wisdom. Which tells us something. Pride is not supposed to be a part of a life of wisdom. 
Pride is not supposed to be a part of a life of wisdom. And pride is one of those words in our culture that we've thrown around and gotten loose with, kind of like the word love. We love God, we love our dog. We love God, we love pizza. We love God, we love a sports car. We love God, we love pickleball. We love God, you know, like it kind of, I know what you mean, but the word pride is a little bit like that too. Um, so we need to be creative in how we think of ways. God doesn't speak highly of pride here. His book is against pride. And so when we are legitimately proud of our kids for them doing something, I can understand why. I know what you mean. I'm proud of you. You took a lot of hard work. Good job on getting that grade or passing that test. I'm proud of you. But little kids are going to be confused when you use the word pride and then God is against pride. Can you help me here? What is a creative way that you could encourage somebody for what they've done without saying you're proud of them? For real, help me out here. Good job. That's exactly what Jesus would have wanted you to do. You did your very best. What about over here? What's another way of telling somebody you're proud of them without saying you're proud of them? That makes me so happy. I approve. Yeah, I mean, just get out your thesaurus and be more creative so we are less confusing to people. Pride comes, and because pride is not just a matter of words, it's a matter of the heart. And save that word for when you see somebody who is puffed up, who has the ego, who is making much of themselves and putting other people down. That, we see that a lot. And if grandma has always told you, man, I'm so proud of you. A little, you know, a little kid will be confused on that. Because um, when pride comes, then comes, what happens? Disgrace. This is an observation of Solomon. Eventually, proud people get popped. Because nothing ever goes your way forever. And if you're always the man, you feel disgraced. You just, I mean, that is, an, that is an unrealistic expectation to keep for yourself. That's why pride is so dangerous. Because the higher you float up to be like God, the farther you fall and crash back down. And you will crash. So level it out. With the humble is wisdom. The very word humble the reason it's contrast, contrasted with pride is pride is up, humble is down. You can't fall very far when you are already down, when your feet are on planet Earth, when you have a realistic expectation of yourself and other people. You can't fall that far when you're already on your knees. There's no way to go but glorify God, lifting God up, making much of Him. That's where there's wisdom. Stay humble. Be humble. Verses 3 through 13. The reason I have grouped these passages together is because of the consistent use of the word righteousness. We're going to fill in some blanks of other, some other synonyms for the word righteous. But let me read 3 through 13. The integrity of the upright guides them, but the crookedness of the treacherous destroys them. Riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. 
The righteousness of the blameless keeps his ways straight, but the wicked falls by his own wickedness. The righteousness of the upright delivers them, but the treacherous are taken captive by their lust. When the wicked dies, his hope will perish, and the expectation of wealth perishes too. The righteous is delivered from trouble, and the wicked walks into it instead. With his mouth, the godless man would destroy his neighbor, but by knowledge, the righteous are delivered. When it goes well with the righteous, the city rejoices, and when the wicked perish, there are shouts of gladness. By the blessing of the upright, a city is exalted, but by the mouth of the wicked, it is overthrown. Whoever belittles his neighbor lacks sense, but a man of understanding remains silent. Whoever goes about slandering reveals secrets, but he who is trustworthy in spirit keeps a thing covered. So the word righteous appears over and over in this section. In verse 11, we also have the word upright. That's used a couple of times in this section. And in verse 12, you get the word understanding. Verse 13, the righteous person is called trustworthy. So we're painting this picture of what does it look like to walk with God? What does it look like to live a life of integrity and purpose? A life where you are upright understanding and trustworthy did any of those verses jump out to you from 3 to 13 did you is there anybody here who circled one or starred one i didn't tell you to because that was last week you're supposed to be looking for things looking for stuff circling it coming back to it which of these verses like oh man Ay, 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 I need to work on that one. Don't be, don't be nudging your neighbor. You're not looking at Proverbs to skewer them with. Don't be looking at your kids. Like, you need to work on that one. No! Your kids will learn more from you humbling yourself under the hand of God and adjusting your life to worship Him than they will ever learn from any rebuke that comes out of your lips. These Proverbs are meant for you. Stop looking for everybody else. They're for you. 3 through 13? Anybody? Probably 9. With his mouth, the godless man would destroy his neighbor. But by knowledge, the righteous are delivered. With his mouth... A godless man. Is that true? Can you, can you use your mouth to destroy your neighbor? Can you use your mouth to, I mean, physically? Yeah, there, there are a lot of property lines that are whack. There are a lot of people who've built sheds where they shouldn't build sheds. There are, a lot of, there are a lot of things parked in people's yards that shouldn't be there. You can call the cops, you can call the city, and you can begin to destroy your neighbor's life by calling them out on the many things they've probably done wrong. Yep, but, and it's my right. Shut your hole. By knowledge, the righteous are delivered. Don't act godless over things that really have nothing to do with spirituality. 
don't destroy your neighbors over things that do not concern their soul. Is there a time and a place when somebody is purposely being offensive and there's a danger? Yeah, yeah, there, there's a time. There's a time to call somebody out for some help. But we're not to be a people who are just running down our neighbors, especially when we think of Jesus. Love the Lord your God and bad talk your neighbor. Is that, is that how that goes? Love God and then do whatever you want in your backyard. No, it's love your neighbor as yourself. I think that's part of it coming through here. I think Solomon has a working understanding of the law and it's coming out in verse nine. By knowledge, the righteous are delivered. By knowing, by possessing wisdom, knowledge and wisdom are interchangeable in this book. Knowledge, wisdom, by knowledge and by wisdom and by understanding, the righteous are delivered. What are you delivered from? You're delivered from a fight from your neighbor. You're delivered from your neighbor wanting to exact revenge. You're delivered from your neighbor start calling the cops every time you do any little thing wrong. You're delivered from strife. You're delivered from, you're delivered from conflict. See what you're delivered from? Oh, you can just go blab and talk all you want, man. It's gonna haunt you and you're gonna wish you were out of that situation in a hurry. Deliver yourself by treating other people honestly and respectfully. Each of these proverbs is a sermon. We can develop them. We can work them. We can look at what the words mean. What are the synonyms for these words? And we can find a way. I didn't, pre I didn't prep on that. I didn't prep on that verse. Who said that? Did I tell you to say that? No. <laughs> yeah. Yep. It's just a dog and I've got a shovel. And I can bury it. Not the dog, I mean the I mean <laughs> When I said when I said that some people would be like, Yeah Like no whoa 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 Oh now actually I have had a couple neighbors with wild dogs and you know I yeah, because I have a tiny dog. So I have thought through that. I've thought through, would I kill the neighbor's dog if it came after my dog? Yes. But I'm not going to, you know, go chasing after it. It would have to come to me. <laughs> uh, yeah, so, all right. Verse 14, let me, let's move on here before I bury any more people's pets. Uh, verse 14. Where there is no guidance, a people falls, but in the abundance of counselors, there is safety. Um, this verse is going to be reworded a couple more times in Proverbs. You're going to be familiar with the passage. Where there is no vision, the people perish. It kind of falls into that vein of wisdom. We'll talk more about that when we get there. But for now, I want you to know that the word guidance is plural. The word people is plural. And then counselors is plural. Um, that where there is not an abundance, a multitude of guidance and wisdom and talking and counseling, that's when people get into trouble. 
when there's one person with one idea doing it their way, trouble comes. You're going to fall. But when people work together, they have a better chance of growing in wisdom together. So write this down. We experience more grace together than apart. Solomon is begging his kids, don't make decisions on your own. And and it's, it's an abundance of counselors. Not just your friends. Definitely not just peers your own age. You, when you're making major decisions, get advice from grandparents. Get advice from coworkers. Get advice from people in your small group. Get advice from a, a wider spectrum. It's not enough to Google it and to look at the first three hits. That's not what we are talking about in our information age. Well, I checked. I watched three videos. I went. Get real people. Real people you know, can look at, read their body language, and listen to. Solomon's son who takes over after him starts to follow this advice, calls in his advisors, how should I treat the people? And he listens just to the people his own age and crashes the entire kingdom. If Solomon's son would have only listened to this one proverb, the kingdom would have stayed united at least one more generation. You want to talk about practical wisdom. Dad said this. He didn't do it. Verse 15. Whoever puts up security for a stranger will surely suffer harm, but he who hates striking hands in pledge is secure. This is a flashback to chapter 6. Um, so I'm not going to repeat that whole sermon again. It, the meaning is don't become legally entangled in other people's financial decisions. Don't co-sign, don't lend money, don't loan. If you want to give, just give. Please write that on the table of your heart right now. If somebody needs help, help them with no strings attached. Even uh, most people are going to say, well, I'll pay you back. Just keep repeating it. You don't need to pay me back. This is not a loan. This is a gift. If I couldn't help you, I wouldn't. This is as much as I'm willing to help you right now. This is money I've got extra. This is money I've set aside. Take it. Meet your needs. Well, I'll pay you back. I'm not, I don't want you to pay me back. You don't owe me anything ever again. If you can give to help, give. Don't co-sign. If the bank, who knows a lot more about money than you, will not co-sign on somebody to buy a car or a house. You smarter than the bank? No. Your house nicer than the banker's house? Doubt it. You driving a nicer car than the banker's driving? No. You know why? Because he's smart with money and you're not. Don't co-sign. If you can help, help. If you can give, just give. And I like the end of that. He who hates striking hands and pledge is secure. The word secure also means free of anxiety. (laughs) You're not worried about other people and what they're doing. 
Once you give the money, it's out of your hands. That is up to them and God. Oh, oh, what do they do with the money? If you're going to worry like that, just don't give. Because you're not a cheerful giver. Remember that? We should be happy to give. One more thing on this. If you're always the person who's being given to kids, <laughs> you, one of the signs of being mature in your faith it, it is one, you accept help when you need it. But two, as you mature in your faith, you learn to give more than you receive. That, that is a big mark of spiritual maturity. That you get your ducks in a row, that you're paying your bills, that you're being a responsible citizen to the point that you are the one who is giving. That's what Solomon's expecting. Be the giver. Be the giver, not the loner. Be the giver. Verse 16. A gracious woman gets honor and violent men get riches. I feel like I've never read that proverb before until this week. Like, where did that come from? How come I never, why have I never seen that before? A gracious woman gets honor and violent men get riches. I had to think on that for a while. So the first line, graciousness and honor. Second line, violence and riches. How do these go together? Gracious woman speaks of virtuousness, speaks of making wise decisions, speaks of being very forgiving, gracious. And what do you get for that? What do you get when you are kind to people, when you grace people, when you show mercy? They honor you. Because to grace somebody, to show grace and to be gracious and to show mercy shows you care. Oh, when people know that you care, now they begin to care about you. You become somebody who's more important in their life. They will honor you. They will honor things you ask them to do. They will honor um, Maybe it's at work, maybe it's at home. They're going to honor your word. It changes the relationship. And I got to tell you, life would be a lot smoother if relationships were better. This is Solomon's observation. Money can't fix everything. I don't care how much money you weasel out of the system. You clock in early, you clock out late. I, I don't care how much... How, how you go about getting your riches. You could be violent. You can go steal everything and become rich. People won't honor you. See what Solomon's doing here? He's lifting up the quiet life of relationships and helping other people as far superior to wealth and to riches. Especially if you become rich by taking advantage of other people. That's what he's saying. There are going to be other Proverbs about character and how important character is. Proverbs, Solomon is already rich warning his kids. We don't, we don't need any more. Another proverb that if his son had listened to, probably wouldn't have divided the kingdom. Yes. Virtues earn honor, but wickedness earns only money. 
I read this verse in a couple of different uh, passages and a couple of different English translations, and one of them added only money there, and that really grabbed my attention. Like, yes, that, that really punched the point home for me. And it's not just about being a woman. Men can be gracious too. And it's not being about just being a violent man. Women can be violent too. You can get rich the wrong way. Um, these are generalities for the sake of teaching. Yeah, be careful. Verses 17 through 21, I'm slinging together here. Uh, a lot of it is having to do with kindness and how we treat people. So let me read 17 through 21. A man who is kind benefits himself, but a cruel man hurts himself. The wicked earns deceptive wages, but one who sows righteousness gets a sure reward. Whoever is steadfast in righteousness will live, but he who pursues evil will die. Those of crooked heart are an abomination to the Lord, but those of blameless ways are his delight. Be assured, an evil person will not go unpunished, but the offspring of the righteous will be delivered. I took note that verse, verse 17 is about being kind. When you're kind to other people, it helps people will be kind to you. Verse 18 is about being generous. One who sows righteousness gets a reward. Verse 19 is about being faithful, steadfast, dependable, steadfast in righteousness. You're going to live. And so... What I see going on here in this verse is don't hurt yourself, don't deceive yourself, and don't pursue death. Don't hurt yourself. How can I not hurt myself? Be kind to others. Well, that's not about me. Yeah, it actually is. Don't deceive yourself. Verse 18. You may be getting a lot of success in life. Wages are deceptive. That, that, no. You sow righteousness. You do what is right, not what is wicked, if you want a sure, dependable reward. And then verse 20. Wow. Verse 20 is a reminder that these are all heart issues. Write that down. These are not behavior issues. These are... We're talking about behavior. We're talking about what to do and not do. Yes, 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 yes. Reminder, it's about your heart. It's about having a crooked heart or a humble heart. It's about being blameless. And there's a place for that. There's a place for it. 21, or 22. Like a gold ring and a pig's snout is a beautiful woman without discretion. I've heard that one before. That's not new. But let me ask you, in the greater scheme of Proverbs, who is this woman? Is this just a general woman? Is he talking about women? No. Remember the... He's talking about Lady Wisdom? A Lady Folly. Yeah, that contrast is still there. It's still there. Every time he's going to mention folly 
or wisdom. We need to keep that humming in the background. He's talking to his son. He's already presented the choices. Here's a wise woman. Here's a wise man. Here's a, here's, here's foolish woman. Here's the foolish man. Here's the sober-minded man. Here's the drunk man. Like that, that vibe is still in the book. And here she comes, Lady Folly. She's prepared her table. She's called me to a feast. She has, oh man, she has some sweet, cool waters. And she has a warm loaf of bread. Don't go there! Don't go there. Remember his warning? Wait for Lady Wisdom. She has a better feast that will last a lot longer than a drink of stolen sweet water and one loaf of warm bread. Man, that's the price of a prostitute. Don't go there. Gold ring. Ooh, shiny. Pig. Choosing the pig is a very deliberate choice. That is an unclean animal. They're not allowed to eat it. They're not allowed to have it on the farm. They're not allowed to be anywhere near its excrement. It will make them ceremonially unclean and unfit to go to God's temple and worship God the way they are supposed to. There's a lot of, there's a lot of religion in this verse. This isn't just about stay away from women or bad women or the wrong woman. It's about don't let anything distract you from being ready to enter into God's presence anytime you need to. This is a deep verse. It's not just about your sexuality, it's about being holy. And every discussion about sexuality is actually on a deeper level about you being right with God, wholly committed to a holy and righteous God. That's where it goes. Oh man, but the ring but the gold, but the bling, but the eyelashes, but the clothes, but the body, oh, so attractive, vomit. Not as attractive as you think. Deadly. Pursuing what is gold and shiny and attractive can lead you away from God. You will feel dirty. When you hang out with pigs, you smell like a pig. A lot of good wisdom comes out of this. <laughs> it, it just doesn't stop. It is a spout flowing. So this is Lady Folly. Um, one more thought before we move on. Write this down. You can enjoy life without dishonoring God. And young people, this is a hard lesson to learn because the world tells us to enjoy life, you need to have a beer in this hand and a hot date in this hand. To be happy in this life, you have to have the championship. You have to be the very best. To succeed in this life, you have to have the nicest car, the biggest house. To be successful in this life, your kids need to be raised this way and they need to look this way and you need to wear this and eat this. And to be successful, this world is trying to choke you and say, no, 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 these things are what you need. Those things, no. You can enjoy life in a simple way that doesn't dishonor God. You have to look for it. You have to discipline yourself to look for it. Then you have to embrace it. You have to embrace Lady Wisdom. Has that, has that been the theme? Look at verse 23. 
The desire of the righteous ends only in good. The expectation of the wicked and wrath. And 22 and 23, I think they go together. Gold ring and a pig snout, I desire that. Uh, that's going to end in wrath. Beautiful woman without discretion. Mm, that's not going to be a good end. Discretion? No discretion? No ability to call something right when it's right and wrong when it's wrong? No. The righteous, they're desiring God and what is good. They're desiring God's ways. They're desiring God's wisdom. They hunger and thirst for righteousness. They know that God has an expectation and a hope for them. Their expectation is whatever God expects for them. They don't just take all of life up into their own hands and grasp after whatever they want. Because when you live like that, verse 23, it ends in wrath. Clarification. By the way, only God is good. And only Jesus can remove God's wrath. That's the gospel of eternal grace. Hey, you go ahead. You can live and chase after what is forbidden and bring upon yourself the wrath of God. Or you can desire God himself and you will end up getting God himself. That's the language. Want God, get God. You will find me when you search after me with all your heart. God is not hiding Verse 24, let's see, I'm going to put 24 through 29 together. Yes, big chunk. One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and one who waters will himself be watered. The people curse him who holds back grain, but a blessing is on the head of him who sells it. Whoever diligently seeks good seeks favor, but evil comes to him who searches for it. Whoever trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like a green leaf. Whoever troubles his own household will inherit the wind, and the fool will be servant to the wise of heart. So verse 24 talks about generosity. Verse 25 talks about blessing. These are words I've circled. Verse 26 um, talks about reasonableness. It's okay to sell, to buy and sell, but don't hold back because you have a scarcity mentality. Uh, verse 27, looking out the good of others. You're seeking the favor of others. Uh, verse 28, trusting in God, not your riches. And then verse 29 is like a... Uh, I see it as an, a summary observation of all the things that just came before it. Giving, verse 24. Blessing, verse 25. Having an openness of mind. Selling to people when they have a need, verse 26. Seeking the good of others, in verse 27. Not trusting in your riches, in verse 28. Verse 29 is a little bit of a summary of that. So it's having to deal with um, working, gaining, riches, gaining, uh, gaining stuff, getting stuff, having resources. If you trouble your own household by pursuing wealth, and by, by pursuing stuff, you will inherit the wind. 
you will die with nothing. If you forsake your family and friends for, and it could not, not just money, for fortune, for power, for fame, if you forsake your family, they'll forsake you. Has anybody ever seen that happen? Child runs off, does whatever they want, left out of the will. But it can happen the other way. Older people can fall off the cliff too. You're not just you're not inheriting figure of speech, talking about all of life, talking about what you gain in this life, not just money, but relationships. Like it's, Solomon is trying to drive some points home. The fool will be servant to the wise of heart. Even if you do trouble your household and you work, you become a workaholic, you're just all about gaining the next bug, getting the bigger, getting the better. Solomon calls you the fool. And eventually you're going to serve somebody else. You're going to have to give it all away to somebody else. And God will probably find a way to give it to somebody who's wiser to handling it than you are. Riches come, riches go. Then verses 30 and 31, this, wrapping it up. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life and whoever captures souls is wise. If the righteous is repaid on earth, how much more the wicked and the sinner? Kind of a, I think of this as a meta theme reminder. There's the tree of life. Pop quiz, when does the tree of life come into the Bible? Where in Genesis pretty early on right like the very beginning solomon is tapping into the bigger theme of god's purpose god wants you to have a life that thrives there's an alternative to that however it's the life where you grasp after your own knowledge your own deciding of what is good and bad on your terms without waiting for God. That is lady folly. Come, take, eat, drink, have fun. It's exciting. Lady wisdom, wait for God. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Stop leaning on your own understanding of what you think is right and wrong. Wait on God, wait on God. Be patient, be patient, wait. So lady wisdom is the tree of life to those who find her, to those who wait for her, to those who learn from her, to those who embrace her, to those who marry her. This is a statement. The tree of life is also Lady Wisdom. The theme goes on. But it doesn't say that in verse 30. It says the fruit of the righteous person. If I'm living out the way of, of righteousness, it says the fruit that comes out of my life is a tree of life. What just happened? I thought the tree of life was out there and I needed to get it. When you are right with God, you have God. When you embrace Lady Wisdom, you have God and God's wisdom. Guess what happens? It grows out of you. Now God's wisdom is not out there, it's in here. That's where Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is within you. It's not a place you go to, it's something you are. Total, total game shift from legalism to spiritual living. Whoa, whoa, I thought everything was out there. 
And Jesus says, everything is right here. Me, you, one, John 17. That's the point. Solomon knows that. But it doesn't stop there. It's not just a tree of life so I can enjoy it. What does the next part of that verse say? And whoever captures souls is wise. When the fruit of your life is the fruit of the Holy Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness, self-control, and you offer that fruit to other people, you're not offering them yourself. You're offering them God. That's how you win people to the Lord through your graciousness, through the fruit of the Spirit, changing you first, growing, and now you can invite them to the same God who has been good to you. And we end with a warning in verse 31. This was the hardest verse. If the righteous is repaid on earth, we read a bunch of verses about the righteous are delivered. The righteous avoids death. And Solomon gets very real. Sometimes the righteous die. Sometimes the righteous suffer. Sometimes the righteous, even though they're blameless, even though they're upright, there are consequences for the way they've sinned in the past. Job, I'm reading through Job right now. He's lamenting over the sins of his youth. He may be upright, he may be blameless, but he acknowledges there was a time in my life when I was not blameless. And oh, God, forgive me. He's begging God for some help. Sometimes the righteous is repaid on earth. There are consequences for the ways we've lived our lives because no one is perfectly righteous. And if righteous people suffer, write this down. How much more the wicked and the sinner. If righteous people suffer and die, hey, we're saved by grace. It's not the end. But what happens to the wicked? If righteous people can suffer in this life, can wicked people suffer in this life? If righteous people have a hope, do wicked people have a hope? And so the contrast becomes greater and greater. That Solomon is not always talking about things that are side by side. Sometimes he's talking about a way of life that is on a different level. God wants the fruit of his life to become a tree of life in you. Stand with me. Thinking about your life today, thinking about the nitty-gritty of the Proverbs, some of them are going to stick, some of them are going to go over our heads, some of them we're going to need when we're 30 years old, some of them we're going to need when we're 50. They're going to hit us, they're going to punch us. Every time we read Proverbs, we are learning. But this morning, I want you to bow your head and close your eyes and ask God, am I living my life like a tree of life who is winning souls? Or am I stunted? God, have I buried my head in the sand? Have I buried my faith? God, help me. I need you to be big inside of me. I know that in this flesh there is no good thing. God, that is why I have 
invited Jesus Christ to be my Savior. That is why, God, you have given me the Holy Spirit. We are praying today, God, that your Spirit would grow within us. That you would change us. That you would bear fruit. That you would be faithful to your own word. We can't be. God, help us to be a tree of life to our neighbors. Help us to be a tree of life at work, at Walmart. Help us not to hide our faith anymore. To live a life of wisdom is to win souls. When was the last time you won a soul to Jesus? God, are you there? Show up. We recommit ourselves to you this morning. And as we sing, we will recommit ourselves to you again today. And as we sing, help us to repent. Help these not just be words from our mouth, because we know it. Not just a familiar melody, but let these be words that we mean. Convict us, change us. Let us become a tree of life. And our family, to our spouses, to our kids, and to everybody else we come into contact to this week. And God, if there be any wicked way within us, help us to leave it at the altar today, to confess it, to turn away from it, so that you can begin growing a new work within us. We trust you. We trust you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? Died He for me who caused His pain for me who Him to death How can it be that Thou, my God, should die for me? Amazing love, how can it be that Thou, my God, should die for me? He left His Father
set the Lord continually before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will dwell securely. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to undergo decay. You will make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. In your right hand, there are pleasures forever. God bless you. You are dismissed.